This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Merry Christmas, and welcome to Season 7, Episode 8 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we are going to go back and uh, tack a little um, epilogue onto a series which we did way back in the day, and that's our series on J.J. Abrams, where we look at his work as a director. And we're going to be looking at his uh, latest directorial effort, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. You may have heard of it. You may have heard of it. It came out uh, a few days back, a week ago, um, as of as of this this thing dropping. And yes. uh, yeah, you want to give a synopsis of it? Let's <laughs> let's 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 get this let, let's let's get this out of here right away. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna say we're going to spoil the movie. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, there's no way you can talk about this movie without blowing it. Right. And anyone who's listening has seen it. Yeah. You know, mathematically speaking, looking at the, the box office. <laughs> yes. And, and also, you know, just the, you know, who cares? Because, I mean, look, this, this conversation will be will much richer after today, you know, for us spoiling it than trying to avoid spoiling So, yeah, we're spoiling it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, for those people who haven't seen it and apparently don't care, you want to give yes. a, a little synopsis of this thing? 30 years after um, you saw Luke Skywalker uh, topple the Emperor and Vader and the second Death Star blew up, uh, the galaxy is looking for him as evil resurges and uh, another bad guy in a mask leads a crusade to try to find Luke Skywalker to keep the Jedi from returning. Yes, yeah. it's It, it was weird. This is one of the first times in a Star Wars movie where I've been like, oh, that opening crawl really sets things up, you know? I mean, I... Uh, it, yeah, it's much more definite yeah. than the other crawls, yes. I mean, the other ones, it's like I'm reading, like... I don't know, some sort of like social studies book or something. And I'm like, wait, the witch group does the what and the thing? I'm so confused. I'm so confused. There was a certain charm to the previous uh, title crawls. Uh, And I'm not knocking this. I'm I'm not drawing out the long knives or anything. But I'm saying there was a certain charm to them because the uh, linguistic um, – abnormalities that crept into the the writing style of them you know little does luke know you know they've begun work on a new death star it's like wait so how long does that did they just start or and so that spurs all of the debates of like well so how long has it been since empire strikes back how did they build another one so fast that sort of thing yeah um whereas this one you're right is this is very this is somebody basically taking the audience by the hand and saying this is exactly what's happening yeah. And there you go. Yeah. So, okay, well, let's not bury the lead anymore, I guess. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens? 
it's very interesting. Had you asked me the very night that I saw it, my reaction was much more, um, I'm not going to say negative, but much more standoffish. Um, and that is largely because there were some elements of uh, what Abrams chose to do and how he chose to move the story forward that uh, irked me because uh, very, you know, being the, the lifelong, like really steeped in Star Wars fan that I am, I felt that he violated some of the visual language. And that is such a nitpicky sort of thing. And I felt that the music, I could tell it wasn't the London Symphony Orchestra. And that irked me. Like the opening cue. I mean, we're talking I was drilling down to that level on the first showing. I knew I was going to do that, though. Second showing, uh, when I took my wife, I was still struggling with these elements. And then she gave me a lens through which to look for it. So when I took my kids for the third showing, I can firmly say that it's not my favorite. But I do enjoy it, and I do like it, and I accept it as a valid chapter in the Star Wars saga. And what about you? Um, I love this movie. I've seen it now five times. <laughs> um, More than I have. There which, you go. I know. It's it's crazy. I mean, this is the first time that I've ever done anything like that, and there are very specific reasons why I saw it each of those times. Um, but you know the fact that it, it it's held up for that length of time i think is or for that for those many viewings in quick succession um says something about the the movie on the whole um but to me i mean there there were definitely problems that i had with it you know i mean there were ways that they did things which i thought were a little weird some choices which which were being made where i was like why wait like for example, the fact that uh, there's um, it's basically kind of a remix of of Episode Four, you know. Yeah, somebody called it a soft reboot. I mean, I could, I, 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 I guess, I guess I could see that. You know, I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking like, if you were to just say like they're remaking Star Wars in the same way that like Batman Begins is a remake of Batman or this new Ghostbusters movie is a remake of Ghostbusters, and you were to say, here's the plot, you know, I mean, obviously changing some things in terms of continuity or whatever, but in terms of the basics, here's the plot, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's totally a remake. I mean, that's basically the same story, you know? I mean, from the very beginning yeah. where it's like, you know, uh-oh, the, you know, stormtroopers are coming. Quick, take the this uh, bit of information, droid, and go rolling off into the desert and find some random kid who doesn't realize that they have force powers on a, you know... And, and dreams of leaving. Yeah. No, well, yeah. does she really dream of leaving? I guess she uh, Yeah, of... no, I think that's very... Because when she's sitting there and she stops and she sees the old lady also cleaning parts... Yeah, she doesn't want to be there's... there, but she's afraid to leave. Right, but yeah. because she's waiting for somebody. Yeah. But, there, yeah. you know, but there is that... There's a very definite shot where she's sitting there... I think it's right before she meets uh, BB-8 and she watches the ship take off. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell that she's sitting there like, I, uh, I want to go. Right. No, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And I mean, stuff like that. It's like, okay, this is, you know, the fact that there's another Death Star, you know, I mean. And I understand that the franchise from 
well, I guess going all the way back to Jedi has been, you know, sort of like variations on, on themes and stuff like that, you know. And sure. But at the same time, I don't know. To me, there's there's some point where you just got to be like, okay, this is an infinite universe. Maybe we yes. should try doing something slightly different the f- well, first time Well, the, the, th- the thing is the tone poem nature is, I think, completely fair to call out. Like, Lucas did that on purpose with the first six. Like, when he did the second trilogy, he said, I'm purposely doing a tone poem where it's supposed to feel repetitive. He gets that from the Norse mythology. The problem stems from the fact that it really is a not Death Star. Like, you know, like, it's such a literal transplant of the super weapon. And it's like, if they'd even had just a slightly different super weapon. Yeah. Or just something a little different, it would have been... It would have been a better element to bring in. Um, like, it, it, I feel it would have been stronger. I also feel it would have um, strengthened the ending if they had not created a situation where they had to cut to a space battle to blow up the thing. Yeah. Like, there there were, there were certain parts in the ending where it was getting a real emotional head of steam. And then it's like, oh, by the way, the battle. And I was like, ah, mm-hmm. no, don't stop. Don't do that to me. You know, like I, I I had more of a problem with it the first time I watched it than than the third. Um, and I'll really credit the editing with that. But I think you're right. I mean, I, I think that sort of that sort of remake nature of it was very difficult for me to accept in the beginning. And I think that affected my opinion uh, out of the gate. It, it was a really interesting choice. And I think that, honestly, it's going to be something which you know, Ryan Johnson will avoid in episode eight. I I really do think that. I mean, I imagine that there's going to be numerous, you know, Dagobah-like training montages and whatnot with... uh, Montage! (laughs) With with Luke and Ray and all that stuff. But, you know, but regardless of any of that, okay, while while that, that was a problem for me, there was so much other stuff in it which worked. And I mean, okay, part of it, Part of it was just the characters were so well done, you know, especially like the new ones and everything like essentially. And I was thinking about this, like it's kind of the opposite problem of what Lucas does in in, in the other movies where and I know that this is going to sound kind of strange, um, but Lucas's movies going all the way back to THX 1138 are yeah. very sort of like sterile, almost um uh, intellectual um, exercises, yeah. which are mm-hmm. basically devoid of any sort of like emotion or human connection. You know, I mean, even no, I, I, I don't disagree. Even something yeah. like American Graffiti, you know, is shot in this sort of distant documentary style, or even though it is like, you know, mm-hmm. these kids doing their thing, it's shot like you're an outside observer into this world, you know? Yes. And yes. and that was, I would say, not really as present in episode four. And it's, you know, very present in the prequels. And it's, you know, basically not present in episodes five or six. You know, the two that Lawrence Kasdan wrote. And here, I think what you're getting is sort of the, the opposite problem where the story like when i when i thought about it the first time i saw it i was like thinking about 
like what I just saw. And I'm like, this really does like plot wise seem super straightforward. Like literally like they're just like, we're going to do this and then that'll lead to this. And then it's going to do this. And there's almost like no dramatic tension in those moments, but the characters are so strong. And the second time I saw it was part of a marathon with all, all seven movies. Right. So you could really like see the progression of these things and everything. And you know, what you could see with, you know, like the, the episodes one through three is like, like episode three, the, like the battle between Obi-Wan and and uh, Anakin at the end should be yeah. like the most like emotionally draining thing in the movie or in, mm-hmm. in the, the franchise, really. I mean, that's like the heart yeah. of everything. And yes. like it was almost like you were just watching this sort of like textbook like exercise because interesting it it wasn't because of the that fight at all either it was more because of the way that these characters had been handled for you know two and a half movies at that point well uh see i i'm gonna disagree with you because you know how i feel about the prequels and i do feel that that obi-wan anakin fight has has all of the the necessary verve and punch i'll 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 turn it around and i will say that you know, while yes, it's good that they they have uh, a real focus on the characters and Lucas. What I will say about Lucas is Lucas has always been laser focused on the leanest possible telling of the story. Yeah, I it is. It is even when he's juggling multiple things, like in um, American Graffiti, there is there is a point A and there is a point B, and you are you are getting there. It is it is just straight down a tunnel to get to that point. Whereas I feel with episode seven, there's a bit more of a, and I'm not saying this as a pejorative, a bit more of a meandering feel to the characters. Um, So it's a bit looser in that sense where the characters are uh, for good or bad opened up within scenes so that not everything they do serves the plot. And that was definitely that was definitely something where made it it made it not feel quite like a Star Wars movie to me, at least at first, was the fact that there were things like the Rathtars mm-hmm. that did not serve the plot. Like that is something where I would I would go if if I put my Lucas brain in, I'm like that scene gets dropped because it's not at the service of getting Ray to Maz Kanata. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I definitely see what you're saying. And I mean, that is something that, you know, uh, the especially the original movies did really well. I think on our commentary for, for episode four, Max talks about how, like, his least favorite scene in the movie is after they escape the, the Death Star and they fight the TIE fighters with the gun turrets. Yeah. And he's like, I, I don't like this scene because it's the only scene in the movie that doesn't need to be there, you know? I mean, how many? And, yeah. and if you think about it, it that's true. Like every yeah. other scene in that first movie, like serves a very definitive purpose. Yes, and that's yeah, that's absolutely. rare. It's rare that you have a movie where you you can't say like, you know what, we could cut that out. And right. th- there were a few moments like that in Episode Seven for sure. You know. Yeah, and that you know that 
And the thing is, I realized, like, and th- this was one of the things that my wife sort of helped me, uh, for lack of a better term, unclench about, mm-hmm. is that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's okay to inject something like that into this because what it exposed for me was I was doing the same thing that, and while I have I have uh, made it such a big crusade to say never don't mention the prequels when you talk about this film since we're set we're talking about context here and sort of like departures. I sort of understand now uh, a little bit better some of the complaints that people had about the prequels. It's almost like the shoe is on the other foot here, mm-hmm. where this is what people wanted from the prequels, and this is what Lucas did not give them. Now for me. And this does not make me... Do you hear my dog barking? A little bit. <laughs> my dog's going insane. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. But basically, like, for me, when Lucas throws that... I'm not saying this in any... Like, it makes anybody better or worse, anything like that. But for me, I was delighted to have Lucas break the mold and say, well, I'm not going to give that to you. I know what you want. I'm not going to give that to you. And I was like, yay, that's cool. Now I... Now I feel like we're a little bit, you know, uh, being a little bit more daring. But I understand my initial reaction now is what people had back in 99, which was this was not what I expected from the story or from the handling of it. What gives? And like it, it was a conversation with my wife that helped me sort of like back off of that and be like, that's unfair. I can't do that because what I'm doing is I'm. I'm lodging complaints against the movie because of what I want as opposed to what its merits are. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. And I mean, I think that that's definitely a thing which is done with the prequels. I mean, I I guess my, my counter to that, and this is as some saying this as someone who does like the prequels, though not as much as, you know, the original trilogy. Uh, I guess I'm all for the different, you know, like I'm, I'm a big fan of that, you know, and, and it's one of the reasons why, honestly, I'm almost more excited about Rogue One than I am about any of the sequel trilogies, all of the, any of the episode, episodic, you know, pieces of, of, of the new uh, Star Wars franchise, because yeah. it could be anything like, we don't know, it could be cra- I hope it's off the wall and saying something that we've never seen before in this universe. I don't want it to be. And that was one of the things which I was kind of worried about with um, episode seven was that it would be sort of like slavish to the first ones. And in some ways it was, in some ways it wasn't. And I think we can get into that, you know, in a little bit. But regardless of any of that, I mean, the character stuff in this thing was so strong. And, you know, because of that, even though I had these these nitpicky problems with it, or maybe they're not nitpicky, and even though I had these problems with with episode seven, I had like this huge grin on my face from ear to ear throughout the entire movie, and I initially thought that that was nostalgia, but it's not. I mean, certainly there might be some of that there, but really I don't think it is because any time there was like a cheap a cheap piece of, you know, trivia, whatever, thrown into it. I was and like, there were. Yeah, like, oh, 
What's in this bag? Oh, look at this! It's the you know probe that he that Luke used to practice. I, I, the and only one that like, really got under my skin was the holographic chess. That was ridiculous. I was like, you could totally cut that out, and it would yeah. make this scene so much better. Yes, you know, just like things like that. I'm like, really, guys, really? Yep. But there's other moments where I'm just like, oh my god, and you know, okay. This is this is going to be me me sharing sharing too much as I tend to do on podcasts and um, no, we enjoy it though. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, there have only been like two times in my entire life where I've like cried during a movie. Okay, and and when you okay. hear what the two times are, you're going to think that I'm freaking insane. Although there were very good reasons for both of these times. Okay. Okay. The first one, Dark Knight Rises. Okay. When yeah. When just when you know Batman's about to go into battle and he shares that little moment with Commissioner Gordon and spoilers mm-hmm. for Dark Knight Rises, he <laughs> he reveals to Gordon that he's Bruce Wayne. Okay. Yeah. That to me was just like the most beautiful thing I had ever seen, and um. And it, that's important because it's related to to this one. There's uh, there were two moments in this where episode seven, sorry, spoilers, is the other time where I cried during okay. the movie. Okay, there the scene where you know Han and Chewie come onto the ship. Right now, when they come on and, and you see them there, and I have still have a problem with the fact that they showed up, but whatever. You know, coincidence is also a part of the Star Wars universe and yeah, the Force or whatever, whatever that nonsense is. Whatever, I'm, I'm like I'm like Han in, in Episode Four when it comes to the Force. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, you know, he, they come onto the ship and seeing them there, you know, that was like, oh yeah, you know, like I really was. That really made me happy, even though I had seen it in the trailer, but. Then there's that scene where they they start talking about Luke, and he's like, "You knew Luke, didn't you?" And he yeah. he, he he just he's, he stares at them, and he's like, "Yeah, I knew Luke Skywalker." Like that moment to me was just like the most beautiful, like layered moment, and it had nothing to do with nostalgia. It had everything to do with the fact that th- these characters have yeah. existed for nearly 40 years and we've lived with them for for that much time and that's something where like i don't care what character driven oscar bait movie you have right Mm -hmm. if you have a scene where these two characters are together in 1977 and then you see them as their their older selves in 2015 talking about you know the life that they've lived or whatever it is not going to have anywhere near the impact that that scene had since we as an audience have experienced that time with these characters. Yes. That's something that, I mean, as much as people want to criticize sequels and whatever for being whatever they are, I think that that criticism is absolutely ridiculous, generally speaking. But that is something that you could only do in a sequel to a movie which has been around for, you know, 35 years. Yeah, and and you know what's funny is like that for me is yeah the nostalgia bits were a little much, but those little moments, it is aware of the audience, and I think that might be some of the problem that some of the older fans have is that it is very self aware in a sense, but at the same time that's the connective tissue 
of this film with the rest of the saga. This is, this is a sequel. Yeah. That type of connective tissue did not exist in the prequels specifically because it, it was the pre-story. It wasn't the continuation. Yeah. It makes perfect sense for the continuation to have that sort of connective bit. Uh, I'll share with you that as curmudgeonly as I was the first two times, the, th- the third time I watched it, what really clicked with me and actually made me um, it really hit me emotionally was uh, when Ray calls the saber to her hand in the fight and the, and the music cues up. I was like, this is a star Wars. This is that this is that moment where you feel like the Skywalker saga continues. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the, the other moment where, you know, from the very first time that I saw it, I was just like that, that scene is so well done, you know, yeah. and with the music and everything, and it's just like, oh, my God, you know, like we are. Yeah, exactly. Like this is, you know, and that has absolutely nothing to do with nostalgia because it's Correct. a brand new character, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, that 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 to me is my favorite moment in in this movie. It's probably my favorite moment in all of cinema this year. And one of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars, I have to say. Something that I would love to ask you, though, is of the new characters, which one do you feel was the most successful and which one do you feel was the least successful and why on both of those? Um, I mean, most successful new character, I think, is Ray. I mean, for, pretty mm-hmm. much for that, that reason. We get to see her journey. I mean, it really is her story. And I think it's it's really cool to kind of see... Like this journey is very similar to Luke's, but you know, in a different way. I, I like that with Luke, he has this guy who's like, dude, you know, you really could become something great. Where here, she is kind of like figuring this stuff out for herself, you know, and yeah. and that that I thought was really cool. Um, as far as the least successful of the new characters, I mean, how deep do we want to go? <laughs> Uh, you know what? I'm I'm willing to go all the way to secondary characters. It doesn't have to be one of the big three. Okay, it's uh, what's his name? Snopes. No, that's uh, <laughs> Snoke. What, what's Snoke? Uh, Supreme okay. leader. Su- Supreme leader. Darth not Gollum. Right. Exactly. Because honestly, who the hell is he? And here's the other problem which I had with this movie, which I think is a really big problem, is, and I know that this is a Star Wars thing, right? Going back to the first movie, that's why the first movie is titled Episode Four. It's because they they wanted you to be thrown into the middle of this story, right? I feel like that definitely happened here, but I think it's weird because it's Episode Seven. I feel like there needs to be, or that there could be, a prequel trilogy to this thing too, you know, because who the hell is Snoke? And also, by the way, why do we not get to see the Republic existing? Yes. Who who the hell is the first order? What, how, how are they the dominant force in this, you know, galaxy? I don't understand any of this Mm -hmm. stuff, but see what, And I agree with you. And where I've sort of come to peace with it is that with each trilogy, the world has been different. With the first Star Wars trilogy, there was nothing like it. It was pre-video days. It was, if you want to see a movie again, you plopped down your three bucks and you went down to the cinema and you spent your time in there. With the prequel trilogy, it's, you know, to, to borrow the line from McCallum, there's so much going on in every shot because it was created in the era 
where people watch things 5,000 times. Mm -hmm. And so like there was a heavy focus on let's just put a ton of things in every shot just to make sure that, you know, somebody's going to say, oh, I found something new this time. With this one, this is Star Wars in the era of the connected universe. Mm -hmm. And the way expanded universe used to work with Star Wars was it was not necessary, but it could help if you liked it. So you can watch the prequels and get everything you need from the prequels without touching a single book. With this, there is the feeling of I have to read and participate in all of the stuff going on off screen to completely understand what's happening here. And where I need to heap praise on Lucas, as much as other people might disagree, is that I never felt that the ancillary materials were do or die with the previous trilogies. I felt that it was a nice option. Whereas with this, I very much feel like if I don't go out and read all of Wendig's books, regardless of what I thought of the first one, or if I don't read New Republic Bloodline, or if I don't read the Journey to the Force Awakens book that focuses on Ray, Finn, and Poe about right before the movie... I feel like I'm going to be missing out on something. And that is, I, I mean, that that's a little bothersome in a sense, but I'm sort of coming to peace with it because I'm like, this is just the nature of the way movies are done now. And so it is supposed to be a multimedia event. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. And as much as I think Disney would want us to agree with you, I really don't think that, what you're talking about is the reason behind the way this movie is structured. And really? I gather that from two things. First off, you know, one of the reasons why they threw out the old canon was to give these guys a clean slate, you know, and sure. to be able to do whatever they wanted. But also, I mean, just comments which were made by, you know, Lawrence Kasdan, where he's like, I have no idea what the whole canon thing is. I don't know what any of those books are about. He's like, I've read four, I've written four of these movies now, and I could not tell you what's canon or what's not, and I don't care. I mean, he's like flat out said that, you know? So it, to me, that's, a, and that's the guy who wrote the movie, right? To what me, does he that, know? <laughs> so to me, that says that, you know, no, they, they, built this movie to not, you know, make it. And, and also, I mean, I think that if they had done that, then a lot of this stuff, and I'm sure we're going to get a lot of stories now about what was going on in the Republic, you know, in between in during that 30 year gap, I think instead of doing the thing that they did, which is hold off on all of the important info until after the movie came out, because they wanted you to learn where Han was and where Leia was, was and everything from this movie, um, we would have gotten all of that stuff beforehand. It would have been like the uh, the Independence Day prequel comic. Did you ever read that for Marvel? Oh, goodness, no. I read it. It came out like a week before the movie came out. And it's like, oh, here's Jeff Goldblum. And he's, oh, look at this. He goes in he punches this guy because he's dating his uh, his ex-wife and oh here's the president who does this thing or whatever and oh no it's he was punching the president he was punching the president because he thought he was dating it, it doesn't matter the point is okay there's all this stuff in this book and i'm like oh this is interesting stuff and then i watch the movie and literally everything that's in the book is like 
um, I hear you punched the president. And he's like, well, yeah, because of this thing. And it's like, okay, that was a throwaway line in dialogue. Obviously, we did not need to see this scene play out in comic book form for two ninety nine or whatever the price was. You know what I mean? I, it's, I, just, I just feel like they, okay. they really did drop the ball as far as storytellers are concerned. Well, but the thing is, I think that there is a very easy way for them to have the, the story, uh, to have the destruction of the Republic Capitol uh, feel uh, a little bit more organic and feel a little bit more meaningful. There are two options they could have done. Have it be Coruscant, which we've already seen in the previous movies. And if we see it destroyed, we can go, oh my gosh, we've seen this planet before. Oh no, that sucks that they got killed. Well, was it? I mean, could it? Cause... No, they said Hosnian system. Okay, so it's, yeah, ho- it's Hosnian. That, no, they they specifically mentioned the Hosnian system because I, was, I never I never thought it was. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you I'll let you finish. No, that's all but, right. No, yeah. go on. Go, you I, never thought it wasn't Coruscant. I never thought it was until I I watched the movie with with Max and we were talking because we, on the on the ride home we were like you know this is something which I've been wondering and I don't know why there weren't odds for it in Vegas or whatever about as to whether or not there would be a single reference to the prequels in this entire movie oh there are a couple of references yeah, to the prequels I, I counted three or four depending on how you want to count them but he's like well there was Coruscant does that count and I'm like what where and he's like that's they blew it up nope. and then when I, I saw it once after that and I'm like is that oh it kind of does look like Coruscant but I don't know so it's not you know I think you know what though to speak to your point is maybe then well I mean the the thing is I would say oh well maybe you could say that in the head in your head canon but because they say Hosnian system like you would have maybe Coruscant is in the Hosnian system maybe it's the one and only planet in the entire history of Star Wars where the planet you go to isn't the system you know like Hoth is the sixth planet in the Hoth system okay all right. So, yeah, but uh, like, so either have it be Coruscant because that instantly we we feel like that that's a connective tissue moment, or and quite frankly, have Leia there, kill her, then have her on Hosnian Prime or whatever, or or whatever planet you want to call it, and have her there, uh, campaigning like asking for more help for the resistance or something like that it's, so that there's a character we care about in that moment because it sort of comes out of left field where it's like and now we destroyed the, the capital of the republic wait what but what? there's no characters there that i know but to me it, it goes back beyond even when the movie starts where it's like wait a minute like really what has changed since jedi like nothing unless thing is it's like oh they won the galaxy is free then the very first thing we see is like the silhouette of like a star destroyer and it's like so do they not really do anything or because it really just feels like it's the rebels fighting the you know the empire again yeah i mean the thing is i think that the i think that the super weapon thing the the biggest problem with it is that it distracts the plot and the audience from what is supposed to be the overarching goal, which is finding Luke. And so it becomes this detour. Now, granted, you know, Kylo Ren's trying to get, you know, the the location out of Ray's head and, and all of this stuff. But that battle, like, it is up until it gets a little muddy there. Like, it's it's a pretty tightly constructed plot. 
it, it really is the star killer that muddles it. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. But I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, okay, it really does feel like the empire or whatever the first order is the dominant force in the galaxy. I mean, do you do you disagree with that? <sighs> you know, I, no, I don't. I don't agree with that necessarily. So I guess yes, I disagree with that. Okay, I feel that. When they say it's risen from the ashes of the Empire, and then that speech that Hux gives, where he says the Republic, you know, lies to the galaxy about yeah. what's going on. Like I get this feeling of they they they're like a detente. And that's what I wish they would have teased out a little bit better, is to have maybe one scene or a tiny bit of dialogue where somebody talks about what I've been able to glean from it from, from the viewings is that the resistance is the Republic's way of fighting the first order without officially declaring war. They're okay. basically funding, uh, you know, like rebels in the middle East against I don't know, Saudi Arabia or Iran or whatever the hell. Yeah. And yeah. so they're funding them. And then this is like for the last 30 years, just to extend the analogy, like Iran has been building a giant bomb or whatever, and it's ready now. And they're like, we know that they've been funding the people that have been harassing us and let them keep harassing us. We're going to blow up the people that caused this problem, you know, like, yeah. and so I, like that speech by Hux really works in that context, but it did take more than one viewing for me to sort of suss that out. Yeah, I, I guess so. I don't know. It was just something that, I don't know, bothered me. I, I, I felt no, like fair. I felt like the reason why they were doing it was maybe in the nostalgia vein saying like, look, it's the same as before. But to me, like, I think it would have been better if they had sort of done like what was done with the prequels and, you know, show like the galaxy in a different state of power, I guess, you know, like this time. Like, and, and, OK, yeah, the Republic is doing their thing, kind of like what they did with, you know, the books you know, in, uh, prior to this new canon. Well, I, that's one of the things that I hope gets teased out in episode eight is that we find out about Snoke. Yeah, I'm sure we, we find will. out what happened. But the thing is, okay, so long as I, we've mentioned, we've invoked Snoke again <laughs> for a movie that prided itself on practical, 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 practical effects. And, oh, my gosh, no, the CG bad unless we use it in a certain way and then it's good. But bad CG. I don't understand the decision, especially in, uh, as I've said, the post-Harvey Dent world, the post-Dark Knight Harvey Dent world. I understand Snoke has a messed up face and there's obviously some damage that goes along with that. I don't understand why you couldn't just enhance an actor either with makeup and even it out with CG, why he was a straight CG character. And you can sort of forgive it because he's a hologram through the whole thing. You'd be like, well, the hologram's not mm -hmm. true to life or whatever. But it just seems like such an odd decision. And it pulled me out because they, you know, drove it into your brain of... You know, so much so that I, I, I used to tease you about it where I was like, oh, wow, they crashed a real Star Destroyer in the plains of, uh, of of Jakku and all of that stuff. But, like, it just seems such an odd decision. It sticks out to me 
where it, it feels like that's one where they really didn't need to have a CG character and they did. So for a movie that prided itself and drilled into my brain for 12 months about the practical effects, I, I didn't understand why they felt the need to do that. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, reaching into their bag of tricks and pulling out Andy Circus, you know, whatever. Um, that's, I mean, I, I did think that the way that that character looked was stupid. And I thought that the character in general was stupid. And I mean, part of it probably is that we don't know who he is. And I know that, you know, there's plenty of time to get all this information. And it's a very dense world and everything like that. But at the same time, I think there's some basic information that you need to to uh, reveal right off the bat yeah. in order for people to care what's going on, care about what they're watching. But so. is it possible that since they know they're making three, that they have, um, and I, it's not a trap, but they've basically planned it out. Because this is one of the ways that I, I was really trying to look at it after the fact as well, is that if you go back to the very original Star Wars in 1977, before all the rest comes around, you can sort of hammer on some of the logic of the plot. Mm-hmm. You can. I mean, it's just it's just a fact. You can. Even given the fact that, the, you know, like Max, like you cited Max saying, there's only one scene where you can say this is just not necessary to the story. There's still some logic holes that, you know, you sort of suspend your disbelief for. And yeah. is it something where we have personally in our brains as a generation or a couple of generations at this point rehabbed the original star Wars because we've always viewed them in the context of more stories or viewed it in the context of more stories that when we watch star Wars now, we cannot watch it absent of the idea of the empire strikes back or return of the Jedi or the prequels for those of us that enjoy them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true, you know, and and maybe maybe that is, you know, kind of what's going on here. And I'm sure that they have plans for, you know, all those dudes and, and, and all those storylines and everything. It's just I it, I don't know. It's it, it didn't feel like they were teasing it so much as just like saying, like, you don't need to know that right now. I don't know. It, it was weird. I, it And, you know, maybe I mean, we'll see what they do with episode eight. But uh those little things bothered me. But aside from that, and I mean, I guess, well, let me, you know, turn it around and ask you, what was your favorite and least favorite of the new characters? Okay. Favorite of the new characters is actually a tie for me between uh, Kylo Ren and Rey. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Kylo Ren because he was a different approach to the character. It would have been very easy for them to make a you know a vader a literal vader clone yeah that was fierce and intimidating and terrifying but i think the fact that they undercut him really stressed the fact that he was trying to be something he isn't mm-hmm. and like exposing a flaw in the character that the character itself is aware of and i also like the fact that he threw temper tantrums yeah like he he was you know now now Craig, you know, he's like, oh, he's emo Darth Vader. And I'm like, okay, that's dismissive. But I actually like the fact that he's a confused being. Like he he doesn't come across the way Vader does in the original one, which is, you know, very sure and and commanding in this. He's very like Kylo Ren is very 
unstable. And I, I like that. Uh, and Ray, I thought, was great. Um, uh, Daisy Ridley herself infused so much charm into the character. Uh, but I think also her journey was great. Um, in terms of the least successful character, I am actually going to pick on Snoke. Mm-hmm. Because he looked like Gollum. Yeah. And it bothered me. Like, I, it took several viewings for me to get over that fact. Because, like, when I first saw him, I was like, oh, come on. Who the hell is going to be afraid of him? Mm-hmm. You know, like, whatever. Um, so, and the thing is, tied with it wasn't Snoke originally. It was Finn originally. Hmm. I had a big problem with Finn because I was like, he got all of these gag lines and he had moments like, who's in charge now, Phasma? Who's in charge? I'm in charge now. And it was like weird. And I sort of like had a disconnect as a result. And then it was my wife, God bless her, who teased it out. And th- this is the comment that's going to get me in trouble with some people. But he's the Jar Jar of this movie. <laughs> and that's how I've come to terms with him is he is the fish out of water, in over his head, awkward guy who who doesn't really fit in with anyone, but then by the end of the movie is a part of the team and you know and and people are working with him and he's doing his best to contribute to everything. And yeah. that is not for me, you know how I feel like I actually like the character of Jar Jar. So like for me once I viewed one, the third time I saw it, I, I viewed it through that lens and I was like, okay, character works for me now. Now you might like his jokes better. I heard lots of laughs uh, with his dialogue. All Every time that I saw the movie, there were lots of laughs with Finn. And so once I was able to couch him in that respect, uh, like he started working for me. And then I just started picking on Snoke more. Yeah, I could see that. I, I never had a problem with Finn. I did. I didn't think that he was as strong as you know Ray, but I, I did like him from the beginning. You mentioned another character, which was I would say the biggest disappointment in terms of you know kind of like oh yes potential. Yeah, and that was Captain Phasma. I mean, uh-huh. from the, the first time that you see her and she starts walking, and I'm sure this is a result of the fact that that armor is really freaking uncomfortable. But I'm like, is this Battlestar Galactica? Like, seriously. And I'm not talking about the real Battlestar Galactica. I'm talking about the one the from original. the 1970s. Yes, yeah. the original Battlestar Galactica. I'm like, this does not work at all. And then you, I think they really undercut her with that scene with, with Finn where he's like, I'm going to kidnap you and get you to turn off this thing. And it's like, she needs yeah. to come back like super strong in the next one and just be like, all right, I'm just, you know, going to mass murder everyone like I did in the first scene of that uh, last movie or whatever, but now for real. And uh, you better not be laughing at me in my armor or the way that I walk because this stuff is really uncomfortable. What do you want me to do about it? You know, I mean, I don't know. There's, it, I just... It, the it one, you, you know what one thing really jumped... I mean, besides everything that you've named... The one thing visually that jumped out at me about Phasma, and the thing is, I'm going to buy the figure because that arm, like honestly, that armor in in the in the chrome was just beautiful. It looks really but, cool when yeah. you don't see it moving or interacting with people. But <laughs> every scene you see Phasma, she's carrying the rifle, like yeah. ready to start shooting people, and I'm like, 
no matter how dedicated you are to the cause or how fearsome you are, you holster your weapon on occasion. Even Boba Fett holstered his weapon. Yeah. Like, it's okay. You're mm-hmm. not always carrying your gun around like that. So yeah. th- that was just an odd an odd choice. And the thing is, it was an odd choice for me because there was some stage business that was great. Uh, like that that makes the you know that that phasma carrying the gun thing jump out for me more and that was um because kylo ren gets shot by chewy like in that final battle like that was so cool where he kept hitting himself where he had been shot yeah like to like 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 a wrestler like or a ufc fighter who like is trying to just get in the head of the opponent that's like i'm crazy like that was that was such a good bit of stage business and yeah, it's like, it was. It just contrasts with Phasma's, you know, stiff gun always at the ready walk. It's just kind of like, eh. Uh, speak, speaking of that scene, though, okay, one other thing which bothered me, and it's external to the movie, so it doesn't really count, but, you know, there's obviously been a lot of talk about spoilers in regards to this movie, right? You know, Yes. And, uh, you know, there have been some moments where, where, you know, some things have been said where I'm like, oh, really? Really? But any spoilers that anyone said that I heard accidentally or whatever were nothing compared Mm -hmm. to the very first spoiler, which is in the very first trailer when you see, you know, Kylo Ren on the snow planet. Yeah. And you know, when you're watching the Han death scene spoilers, that Han's going to die. Because aside from, you know, the obvious, mm-hmm. I mean, you said last week that you would eat your shoe if he didn't die, right? Yes. Just because I, you were using I'm, logic or whatever. And I'm glad to say that the shoe will remain uneaten. <laughs> but as I'm watching that scene, I'm like, well, this is where he dies, like John said. And then I'm watching and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, no, he's not going to die. And then I'm like, wait a minute. We still haven't seen Kylo Ren with his lightsaber in the snow. Yep. Oh, I guess that means he will die here. Yep. Well, thanks, Disney, for ruining that in the first trailer, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess uh, it's just the nature of the beast, but whatever. And, of course, I find it extremely funny that uh, the shot that was in that trailer is not in the final cut. There's a lot of shots from the trailer which yeah. aren't in the final cut. Like some of my – the very first thing that you see, the very first frame of footage that you see in the very first trailer is not in the final cut. Uh, you mean the extended desert shot? Yeah, because his head pops up out yeah. of frame, but the head of that shot has been trimmed substantially. Oh, sure. I'm sure that they just had the camera rolling. Right, and, yeah. And, and yeah. I know, and it's it's like there there's that. There's the shot of the Falcon as it's going into hyperspace, which was not there. Yeah, that's true. Where it that's transitions true. from the streaking to the actual like cloudy-looking hyperspace. Tunneling through space. Right, that's not there. Uh, yeah. The hand handing the lightsaber to someone you know yeah no that's that's a great call out because the thing is it's i like i I was mentally playing it in my head that's maz kanata everybody thought it was a child handing the lightsaber to what looks like ray's hand now if you go back and you watch that trailer Mm -hmm. but in the movie she hands it to like i almost wonder if that scene played differently there's some, some in the original cut of the movie or they could have done that, you know, to throw people off because, I mean, like, did you see, I, and I, I was not aware of this and that is something I would have, but apparently there's only, like, really one photo that leaked from the set 
of the movie. And it was... Uh, and it was? Adam Driver wearing an X-Wing pilot uniform. And everyone's like, oh, I guess he's, you know, part of the the resistance. I guess he's, you know, not the bad guy. And, you know, now obviously we know that's not in the movie. And people think what actually happened was they staged the photo and leaked it themselves to throw people off, you know? Uh, the one photo I saw that was leaked that uh, I knew was legit because they worked really hard to try to kill it was Luke in his Jedi robes. Oh. He's And, and yeah. I saw the picture of him standing i but it wasn't at what what the, what's the place called michael skellig or whatever mm -hmm. yeah. like it was in a studio for like a photo shoot or whatever yeah so i'm yeah. sure it was like cg reference photo and the thing is i'm gonna buy that figure because you know come on the idea i just of saw luke, i just saw today you know like apparently you know loot crate yeah. Right. yeah, 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 yeah. They they they're doing like a thing where I guess they're shipping it this week or something. If you're a member or whatever, I don't know what the deal is. But you, they're shipping a Star Wars loop crate thing where it's got a couple stuff in it. It's a couple things in it, and one of the things which is in there is a uh, pop vinyl Han in his winter gear, old Han in his winter gear uh, bobblehead. Yes. Okay, that's kind of. I, cool. I want that. I want, when's when's that coming out? I need that. That's kind of that's kind of neat. Now, the, now the thing is that the biggest bit of praise I want to heap on the movie is that I could tell the elements that were original Lucas, yeah, uh, that were in there, um, and the fact that, uh, and I think this is the reason Kylo Ren stands out for me, um, is that there are so many elements and characters that harken back to the original story drafts for the first star Wars movie. Yeah. Th this really plays in a lot of ways, the way Lucas's initial drafts played. Mm -hmm. And like, that is for me, that's the sort of thing where once I got past everything, once I relaxed and I watched it, I was like, there's the DNA of star Wars that I recognize. Like that is what is giving me my biggest handhold to accept and come to love this installment even though I know Lucas supposedly had nothing to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Um, I mean, I guess I guess my response is that, while that's cool, I honestly don't care. <laughs> I mean, like, kind of like the last thing that I want to see in the world right now is... You know, this is a, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, okay? This is a, a double-edged thing, okay? The last thing that I want to see in the world right now is another Star Wars movie from George Lucas. The Heretic. The, the first thing that I want to see right now, just to make sure that people understand where I'm coming from, is anything else by George Lucas. You know, he's been talking for 10 years now about making crazy, weird, experimental films that no one will go to see. I, I will be first in line to see every single one of those movies. As I want I. to see him go crazy. And I want someone else to do Star Wars. Lots of other people. I want to see lots of other people's takes on Star Wars. You know, and for me, that's a yes, but like it needs it needs that it needs to feel like a natural child of Lucas's mythology, not a stepchild. I don't know. I mean, it, I want to see it go and, weird. I, and again, I want to be very clear: not saying anything against stepchildren. I fully support foster programs and adoption and okay. whatever, you know, 
That is not a negative comment against anybody. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, 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 I just, I don't know. I want, I want to see Star Wars get weird. I want to see lots of people who are growing up with it, who, you know, um, sort of, uh, I don't know, which, what would you say? Like metabolized it in different ways. Um, give their, their takes on it. And, yeah, and, and I, I want to see, I want to see how Star Wars has touched the lives of others and I want to see their interpretation of it. That's what I want to see. And I want to see I their interpretation for. of what I think Star Wars should be. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> well, speaking of, of that, you know, let's, let's move on and, and talk about, uh, the, the guy who, you know, the reason why we're talking about this on this show and that's JJ Abrams, the, the writer and director of this movie, um, who also directed Star Trek 09 and Star yeah. Trek Into Darkness. Yeah. Now, what did you think about the direction in this movie? It will be very easy for somebody to take this as a, uh, a, a shot, but it's not. But I feel that J.J. Abrams has now made Star Trek 09 three times, uh, except this time he wedged it into the Star Wars galaxy, which is cool. But there were a lot of things with the way this film was constructed that, you know, I guess, you know, I, I'm I'm a fan of directors leaving their stamp. Like every time I watch a Hitchcock movie, I can tell Hitchcock directed it. But this really there, there were some choices that were interesting that I felt were different for Star Wars, but safe for him. And there were a couple of times where, and the thing is, my reaction changed depending on the format yeah. in which it was shown. But there were times where I really would have liked him to just set the camera still and just 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 sit still for a second, okay? Let, let me see everything that's going. You don't need to speed the camera through everything. Just slow down. Let me see things. So, yeah. See that was my my big thing like going going into it was like uh, you know I love JJ J. Abrams I love his visual style you know I've said this before on numerous occasions you know JJ J. is my jam I don't know what it is about this guy and his, whatever he's doing and whatever I'm seeing whatever I want to see it's on like the exact same wavelength okay now the year is still young even though there's only 10 days left in it you know there's still a lot of movies coming out this year but as of right now star wars episode 7 the force awakens is my favorite movie of the year now i've been doing this for 19 years now i've been i it's been about 19 years since i've seen you know everything like at least a movie a week and made top 10 lists at the end of the year and in that time he's the only person who has had the number one movie on my list four times. What and are the he's only other made, three times? He's, he's only made five movies. What are the other four times? Mission Impossible three, three. Okay. Star Trek 09. Okay. Star Trek Into Darkness. And that, but that would fit though, because if you love Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek 09, and I, you cannot deny that the way that this film is. Uh, uh, put together greatly resembles Star Trek 09. Yeah, and that's fine. And I think that's because, you know, I mean, as everyone else will flip it in the other direction, Star Trek 09 greatly resembles Star Star Wars, you know? 
And sure, I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I'm okay with that, and and I agree with that. And you know, when I heard that he was directing Star Wars, I'm like, that's amazing. I can't wait to see that. But at the same time, I'm like, are we going to lose the thing that makes JJ JJ? I really hope not. And when you watch this, no, it is undeniably a J.J. Abrams movie. But at the same time, I feel like he did modify his style to fit with what Star Wars is. You know, it feels like the original trilogy. It feels like an extension of that just through the lens of J.J. Abrams, you know, with the occasional flair here and there. Which, you, know. I, you know, and the the flares that he chose were quite good. Although I can tell you, in the 3D conversion, the there there were a couple of flares that were annoying as hell. And I can also say that the like I saw the IMAX 3D, like on an actual IMAX screen, laser, laser. and the 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 3D conversion annoyed the hell out of me after a certain point. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the one and only scene that they shot in IMAX 65 millimeter was the Falcon escape scene. Yes. And I felt cheated because I, I I'm sorry, I'm spoiled by Nolan <laughs> scenes with like, I, I just, I feel like he lost an opportunity there because if you're going to release it in IMAX, screw it. Just, just go ahead and have Ray's fight with, with, uh, with Kylo Ren be in IMAX along with the, the X-wing fighters, you know, like, why not? But that is such a. It's not. A, it's not a knock on the movie. It's just. Yeah. It's a knock on the presentation format. Save your money. Don't go see it IMAX 3D. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I knew going into it that that was the case. You know, um, I, I've. I don't know. I've seen this movie five times now. Like I said, all in like different formats intentionally. You know, and the the best one that I've seen thus far has been the Dolby Vision. 2D laser projection, which I know you saw it in laser as well, but that laser projection, oh my God. I would have loved to see it in 2D laser projection, not 3D laser projection. Yeah, yeah. It's the, you know, super high contrast, you know, super bright, super dark, and the colors are just uh, so vivid. It's it's amazing. Um, I, I am looking forward to seeing it in 1570 true IMAX, you know, 70 millimeter film which uh i'm dr- have to drive down to indianapolis to see i'm going with drew so that'll be fun yay but, hey if you live in los angeles okay you have you have an obligation to see it at the vista theater oh that's right which is using a 35 millimeter print at his specific request right <laughs> that's that's what i've heard you know yeah I, so yeah, I, I don't know why that specific theater, whatever. I've never heard of it. It's apparently in East Hollywood. If you want to uh, see the movie in thirty-five millimeter, go to the Vista. I believe, and I could be wrong, but it—I I read something somewhere that it was the theater where he first saw see, the original. That's what I figured. I kind of, I kind of figured that, and um, that's so cool. I've already contacted the Music Box here in Chicago and been like, you know. May Memorial Day, <laughs> thirty-five millimeter midnights would be awesome, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll look into that. We'll look into that." So I hopefully. will come out to Chicago and uh, <laughs> kick the door into your abode and sleep there so that I can see it there. Excellent, excellent. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I really loved the direction in this movie. You know, I mean, I, I love J.J.'s style in general. I love the fact that he kept his style while still, you know, doing something which was, I, I think, true to Star Wars style. And aside from The Empire Strikes Back, which, I mean, come on, come on. I think that this is easily the best directed of all of the Star Wars movies by far by leaps and bounds okay i mean this is something which i mean by george lucas's own admission he's not a very good director richard marquand you know whatever he's fine but you know this movie i mean fantastic visual style great pacing and then you know one of jj's big strengths which obviously lucas has some issues with is you know casting and performances he gets such great performances out of everyone in this movie and uh, I, I, I really, really loved the direction in this, I have to say. Cool. So, okay. I'm not, I, I don't believe I've said anything bad about the direction. Okay. Don't give I me mean, that you look. You all can't see that look. You can he's if giving, you want. He's giving me, he's giving me that, that look <laughs> where he's like, okay, Lucas fanboy. There, there's I didn't nothing, say a bad thing about his direction. There's nothing wrong with not liking something. There's really not. No, there isn't. You're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with not liking something. But yeah. I didn't say anything bad about him. I just okay. want that clear. All right. People can't see the face you gave me. <laughs> so, okay, let's uh, just look at some of the other Trek collaborators who worked on this movie because J.J. really did bring, like, his entire crew over. And, sure. you know, we just want to acknowledge their contributions because, you know, that's why we're here. So, okay, st- starting sort of at the bottom of the just below just just right above the line and working our way up to the top um roger guyett uh the visual effects supervisor who had worked on episode three he did as the visual effects supervisor and after episode three he he did mission impossible three for jj and they obviously struck up a, a relationship there because jj brought him along to the rest of his movies and now he's back at Star Wars. The circle is now complete. So that's pretty cool. And I thought the, the effects, obviously, in this movie were awesome. Um, Michael Kaplan, the legendary costume designer who designed the costumes for freaking Blade Runner back in the day and who also designed the costumes for Star Trek 09 and Into Darkness. He did the costumes here. I thought he, he did. did a great job, too. Um, You know, it, it's going to... I didn't feel that the costume design was especially a standout. I, hmm. I, I just don't. But I will give him a uh, a, a nod, and this is going to sound weird, to uh, the jacket that Finn wears yeah. that he, he grabs from Poe. Yes. Finn's costume was was actually pretty fantastic. Like that costume, that's the only one in the in the entire <laughs> movie where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's spot on. I... I actually felt that the uh, X-Wing pilot costumes were not particularly strong. I thought that the helmets were not great. And, but, yeah. But the, uh, I don't know, the, the Stormtrooper helmets I thought were cool. The one weird thing yeah. about the, the Stormtrooper armor is it seemed like it didn't really fit as well. But... I don't know. It was weird. And that the helmets seem to be very sort of like oversized in a sense. But yeah. Re- regardless of that, if you if you go to um magnoliaclothiers.com, 
they make a lot of great sort of replica clothing from movies, and you can uh, get a custom-made um, fin jacket replica. So, how much will it will it cost? Yeah, no, I mean it's it's not that bad. It's uh, it's only um seven hundred and fifty bucks. Oh, please, that's make it rain. Come on, that's nothing. <laughs> I mean, if you're on a budget, and I, honestly, I think this one's even cooler. The the Han Solo jacket. Which yeah, to that, me is kind of weird. It's like you dress Han Solo is dressing like Indiana Jones. That's bizarre. Um, like I can see why mm. why you know Princess Leia was confused because she's like this is the same jacket. And he's like no, it's a different jacket. And she's <laughs> like oh, I was thinking of Indiana Jones. My bad. But that one's only seven twenty five. So a, a bargain at twice the price. Yeah. So there you go. Um, other collaborators. Uh, ben Burt did the sound design. Hey, it's great, right? brought you know jj brought him on to to work on star trek and re recreate those those classic sound effects and here he is obviously back on star wars yeah not a big yeah. fan um you know what i felt that he felt freer to experiment with the prequels sound design than with this one and as a result uh the only standout bit of sound design i found was Strangely enough, Kylo Ren's uh, voice when he was in the mask. I liked what he good. did with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mary Jo Markey and Marianne Brandon, the editors who have edited all of J.J. Um, uh, Abrams' movies, they're so good. I mean, like nothing that they do is like, oh, my God, you know, pay attention to me. But it's just so precise and such great storytelling. I really, really, really love their work going all the way back to Mission Impossible 3, they really know how to tell a story. Or even before that, right? Lost. I mean, it's they're, yeah, they're great, great, great yeah. editors. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that there's a Star Wars movie, which is edited by them. And uh, Dan, Dan Mindel, or Dan Mindel, I never know how to pronounce it, the cinematographer who... Oh, I've loved him since before he was working with J.J. You know, he did... He's photographed a ton of movies. The one that really stands out to me is Domino by Tony Scott. That movie and his photography in it is so punk. And it's like the idea that the guy who shot Domino first was going to make a Star Trek movie, shoot a Star Trek movie, and now is shooting a Star Wars movie. I was just like, wow. I mean, that's like, it's like, I mean, how how do I describe that? It's like... um. It's like when someone like, you know, John Lennon decides to collaborate with like, you know, the, oh, let's say the London Symphony Orchestra or something like that. You know what I mean? That's the feeling that I get. I love his photography so much and it makes me so happy that he shot a Star Wars movie. Uh, but I will say that the moment that, not the moment, but the the group of shots where I did not appreciate his work as greatly as you did uh, would be the uh, cockpit scenes. I I felt if there was anywhere besides the final shot where the visual language of Star Wars needed to be respected, it was in the cockpit shots and they broke that. And that was actually a very difficult for thing. Very difficult thing for me to get over Hmm. was the cockpits didn't look right and hmm. that bothered me 
I, I thought it was fine. I loved the way that the Falcon in general was lit. I thought it was great. Oh, the, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, completely agree. Millennium Falcon was lit great. It, it 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 looked right, absolutely. It was just the it was just the cockpit on the X wings bothered me. Oh, oh, you're saying on the X wings? On the X wings? No, oh yeah, I no. The, fa- the, the all the Falcon work, oh, okay. all the Falcon work was okay. great. The X wings was wrong. And what was funny about the X wings feeling quote unquote wrong to me was that the uh, photography inside the Tie Fighter cockpit felt spot on, hmm. felt absolutely right. So I don't know, maybe I'm just weird. Okay, all right. And then the producer, of course, Brian Burke, who runs Bad Robot, uh, and uh, we'll be talking a lot about uh, his some some of his work um, coming up in in, in in a new series that we're going to be doing in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I just think that that's that's kind of cool. I mean, seeing that Bad Robot logo at the end, I'm like, hey, you know. And I mean, it, it, there's there's just there's something about that and, and the approach here. What to me, Brian Burke being the producer signals is that this is not like some sort of manufactured product. And I know that it is, of course, but in like, let's say the Marvel sense where they have like a stable of creators and they're going to put them together in order to produce this movie. You know, to me, what it says and you see that it continuing throughout these other things is, you know, if they hire a director it's because they want that director to make a movie in the Star Wars universe, and they're going to allow the director to bring on the collaborators which he uses in order to make it his or her own, you know? And bringing on Brian Burke and making it a bad robot production, I think, is really cool and will lead to some really interesting stuff when Ryan Johnson gets to bring on his people and et cetera, et cetera, you know? All right, so that's that. That's Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Any final thoughts? It's worth seeing. <laughs> I would agree. I would say it's worth seeing a, a lot, and um, I, I I had high high hopes, and it, it on the whole lived up to my expectations. So it took me a, a few viewings to get there, mm-hmm. but I got there. Mm-hmm. And I do enjoy it, and I do accept it. It's a member of the family. Cool, cool. That's good. That's good. All right. Now, before we go, there was one other thing which was attached to the beginning of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens in some areas, and that was a trailer for Star Trek Beyond. There's another Star Trek movie coming out? There is. No. Yeah. Really? Oh, and all right. There was obviously a lot of discussion about this trailer. I'm assuming everyone has seen it by now. What 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 are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, first and foremost, I got cheated on my uh, Force Awakens showings. I didn't see the Star Trek trailer once in the theater. I got it twice. I, I got it two, I, I two out of five very, times. Very disappointed by that. <laughs> uh, and no, and I'm not. I'm not being snarky. I wanted to see it on the big screen. Sure. Um, but uh, in terms of the uh, the Beyond trailer. I like it. It kicks the door in and says we're doing something different and we're going to have fun and we're not afraid to do uh, things that are going to challenge this audience. Now, they, they tried to walk it back and Simon Pegg is all like, oh, well, this isn't really what the movie's like. And even Justin Lin is sort of like an apologist for it. But I, I like the fact that they were like, you know what? Yeah, we're just going to 
slap you in the face and remind you that Star Trek exists. I like that. It's a good trailer. Yeah, I liked it too. I remember like when when it le- leaked that morning and they're like this is in German and the color is messed up. I was like, okay, let me check this out. And I was like, wow, the like I got 45 seconds in before I stopped it because I'm like the the visuals are so exciting in this, you know, there's like the the photography is so sort of like arresting. I'm like I I want to see it for real, you know, and, and I waited until a legit version showed up online to watch it. And I do like it. I like the use of sabotage. I like all of the photography. And, um, yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to see it. Now, in addition to that, there was an interview with Lynn, which was conducted with the meet, with the, the movie yeah. press, where he kind of gave a little bit of information about it. And there, there was a lot of uh, interesting stuff in there, but uh, the sort of overarching theme is like this is going to be sort of a return to what Star Trek is known for by the fans in terms of its, you know, sort of thought-provoking messages and whatnot. Yeah, and and I think that what jumps out in that light and what jumped out the first time I watched the trailer, which really makes me want to see the movie, is hearing Idris Elba's voice say... This is where the frontier pushes back. Yeah. Like, I love that idea because it's like it casts the Federation in this sort of colonize. Like, just that one line instantly throws the exploration aspect of the Federation into almost a colonizing point of view. Right. And somebody saying, no, 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 you no, this is our land. Like, I kind of dig that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too, for sure. So I'm excited. I'm super excited. Uh, you know, I, I liked the, the energy in the trailer. And, you know, I mean, people overreacted, I think, and said, like, it's all action. And it's like, yeah, that's how, I mean, these initial trailers oftentimes are. And it is just a trailer, and it doesn't mean anything. But hearing, like, what Lynn has to say, I think, is really interesting, too. And I, I can't wait to see it. I'm super excited. Agreed. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens today, but that's not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM this week, so here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Usually Mike and I are like, mm, what's going on? Our okay. heads are just spinning like, what? I don't understand what's going on, you know? And, like, you know, when I listen to that, I'm like, are we, like, you know, bad? <laughs> the orb. He requests you know a Bajoran officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose. You know he understands. You make this their own. We can't. I'm glad just... he did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally requesting a Bajoran officer. <laughs> oh man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. <laughs> the ready room. Actually, I think at this point, Vulcan Love Slave was probably just a short story, right? It hadn't been turned into a full. <laughs> That's blown right. It's not a full novel. blown novel at that point. Yeah, it's yeah. just fanfic. It's just fanfic. Yeah, it's just fanfic. Point, so, right? <laughs> just on the internet, people started writing after first contact there in Montana. To the journey. It's a very much the genesis of Seven of Nine. Genesis. Genesis. Genesis allowed us not. Sorry. Commentary, Trek Stars. So we're closing in on the World Series is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the Sox were able to win the World Series in, you know, 
12 games. So we're no White Sox, but we're like the Cubs or something. <laughs> oh, no, wait. They didn't win the World Series. Never mind. Never mind. The 602 Club. To speak back to the lightsaber overall, I mean, it was practical reasons that they switched it to green, but I've always loved the fact that Luke had that green saber, even when I was a kid. Like, it's really cool. It's an immediate visual signal, you know, even outside of the outfit that he's wearing, that he's he's a different kind of person than even we saw in the previous film. And I just, I really like that. Literary Treks. The pinnacle of episodes that we've ever done on that was probably when we had Tristan from To the Journey on to talk about some Voyager comics. And <laughs> we ended up, that show was named Two Box Remedial School for Badasses or something of that nature. So, I mean, yeah, these old comics can just be very, very fun. Meta Treks. I looked it up, and ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up breca, and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. One way that you can help us uh, out on the network here is by buying some of our stuff. If you go to trek.fm slash store, you'll find our Redbubble store with all of our Redbubble products. I just got a package in the mail today with mm-hmm. a Christmas sweater with a tree of Star Trek and <laughs> Trek FM things on it's it. It's great stuff, man. It's pretty cool. It's really warm. I had to take it off because I was so warm. And with where you live, warmth is necessary at this time of year. It is definitely necessary. Although today it's 50 degrees and raining literally. So thanks, global warming. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the Starkiller base. Oh, I guess you're right. You're right. Yeah. Oh, well. But <laughs> I'm sure tomorrow it'll be 20 degrees and snowing. So I'll definitely need it then. Um, and you can get all sorts of stuff there. Lots of cool stuff. Be sure to check it out. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact. You can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find the network on Twitter at trek.fm or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference, which is our user-listener forum thing. Uh, Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and uh, you can find us there. Where can people find you, John? Well, you can find me crawling around on uh, Twitter at Kessel Junkie. 
and you can find me on a little podcast called Words with Nerds that I uh, co-host with my buddy Craig, where um, we, uh, you know, also this week, of, I mean, who isn't talking about Force Awakens this week? Yeah. yeah. But uh, you can hear me argue with him about some things as well. Excellent. Uh, you can find me, uh, no, I was going to say right here on Trek FM, but no, you can't. Sorry. Womp, womp. <laughs> you can find me on uh, commentarytrackstars.com where I do commentary trackstar babies when I have time to record episodes. Uh, this week, because it's Christmas, we do our annual Christmas uh, movie commentary, uh, which was just released yesterday on Christmas Eve, where Max and I... Uh, do a commentary for Guardians of the Galaxy. So, Ooh, definitely yeah, worth listening out. to. First time we ever recorded a commentary in 3D. Wow. By that, I mean we It's like you're actually there. Yeah, Max said we should release it in Atmos sound, but uh, <laughs> no. You know. Dolby 5.1 podcasting is the wave of the future. Yep, it certainly is. <laughs> so, yeah, be sure to check that out. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can find the show on Twitter at ComTrackStars. You can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. John, what book do you have for us this week? Well, I think it's an obvious choice, Mike, that uh, this week we have chosen Star Wars The Force Awakens, written by Alan Dean Foster and narrated by Mark Thompson. It's an unabridged audiobook with the thrilling description of the official novelization of Star Wars The Force Awakens, the highly anticipated blockbuster film directed by J.J. Abrams, hitting theaters in December 2015. Is there anything you are left wondering after that description? Not at all. Nope. And by the way, Alan Dean Foster, a Star Trek creator, having a That's right. Star Trek The Motion Picture. So that's that. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And you know, all of the stuff in in that in that novelization which isn't in the movie, all of the added stuff and the the little detail that uh-huh. Foster, you know, fleshes out, that's all canon as well. Um it'll be yes, actually nowadays probably because he ghost wrote the original uh uh a new, what is now called the New Hope novelization. Yeah. And um there are differences. No, they they say that with those, it's all canon except where it's contradicted by the movies. There's a lot that's contradicted by the movies. <laughs> yep. Oh, well. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. All right. Well, that's it. It's a long episode, but you know what? There's a lot to talk about with it's uh, our gift to Star you. Wars: The Force Awakens. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And next week we're gonna go back to the whole who's writing Star Trek Beyond thing and take a look at the other Star Trek Beyond writer, the guy who's not Simon Pegg, and take a look at the movie that he wrote a few years back, which is confidence 